I just want to share a picture with you. It's been a reoccurring picture for me just over the last couple of weeks. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've just found the way that God is just so consistently showing up in our midst at the moment just to be such a sweet and precious thing. And um, I've had this picture. I mean, we are a church who celebrate the faithfulness of God to um, come in ways and manifest his presence in ways that are recognisable to us. We know obviously that God is always present Um, but there are just these precious times where we are just in our body and in our awareness just much more aware that that he's here and uh, we've I believe just really been experiencing that in greater measure more recently on a consistent basis and uh, I've just had this picture of um, like a um, kind of like a smoke screen or a like um, and in the picture I know Jesus is right there in the midst of that um, smoke and every now and then in the picture I can just see little bits of him pop out and um, um, but on Sunday um, just as I was seeing this picture of just knowing he was there knowing that he was present and, and just seeing some tangible evidence of that every now and then. It was almost like he played peekaboo with us and then just stepped right out from behind the, um, this uh, cloud of smoke. And uh, um, I just feel in every aspect of church life and for us as women as we start off this year gathering together that I, I just want for us to really be sensitive and aware of um, that invitation to encounter him more deeply this year. Um, And I do believe that whilst there's a sovereign aspect to that, there is also an aspect of our humbling ourselves and responding with a sense of willingness and obedience to him. He's almighty God. And... uh, um, I think when his presence comes in really tangible ways, it, it's really hard to even catch your breath. And, you know, you'll see throughout scripture, you know, Isaiah in an encounter with God was just like, well, don't look at me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Like it just, just, you're just so aware of how enormously huge and awesome he is and our, how small we are in relation to him not insignificant but just our smallness in relationship to how enormous our God is and so it's a really um, precious tension that we walk as people who know that God loves us intimately knows that um, he knows each one of us and um, that he cares about the small details of our life And yet he is also almighty and holy God who set the stars and planets in place. Like um, that he could hold the whole world in in the palm of his hand. And uh, so I'm excited about what God's doing um, in and through us this year. And I don't think that's any different for us gathering as Vision Women once a month. What he has for us this year... um, 
is available to us whether the auditorium was filled um, to the appropriate COVID capacity, of course, um, or there's just a few of us gathering. I, and I guess what I want to do in sharing that picture with you is to just build a sense of expectancy um, in what he's doing um, in our midst. I can't tell you exactly what that looks like. I, I suspect at times it's going to feel uncomfortable and mess us up a bit, but that's all right too. So thank you, Ali. Um, I've um, really always valued um, as vision women the ability to start in worship together. Um, I just think that's a really important uh, part of um, our meetings together. Um, and I'm just so glad that each one of you is here this evening. Uh, I just want to welcome you. Um, I want you to know that um, God's been expecting you this evening, that um, he is really glad you're here as well. Um, and uh, I am excited about what God has for us this year. Um, I was reflecting as I was driving out here this evening that kind of this time last year, we managed to get two meetings in last year before things changed. Um, but... Um, I do just have a real expectancy of what God has on his heart for us as his girls. Um, this year, you will know from the flyer and if you're on the email list um, that the sense I've had from God this year is just to press into and pursue um, living a life of wisdom and uh, exploring what that means together. Uh, I've got just a couple of practical things and then I've prepared a message just to, I guess, set the um, scene for us for this year. Um, and we always finish with fellowship, which is another important part of our evening together of just um, uh, welcoming people that perhaps you haven't met before and uh, time to catch up with old friends as well. Um, but I do um, have a mailing list that I keep... Um, during last year, for some reason, my IP address got blacklisted. I'm not quite sure how that happened. I was not spamming lots of people, but it considered in all of the group emails I suddenly was sending out when we were online that somehow my IP address was not to be trusted. So I use MailChimp, which I'm reliably told um, doesn't get me blacklisted. Um, but if you would like and are not already on my mailing list, um, I have out that way. I wasn't quite sure where to put it, but I thought if we're congregating that way afterwards for a cup of tea or coffee, it made it a little bit easier. But there's a form there that if you don't already get emails from me about the Vision Women um, events and monthly meetings and things like that, pop your name and email on there and I will add you to my list. It doesn't go any further than that um, unless you want and haven't already been added to things like our church um, lists, but um, it just means that I can communicate with you more easily. The other thing that I just wanted to let you know about is that... Um, some of you will already know that Hillsong run a women's conference every year called Colour and um, this year they're not doing that in person. That normally is all around the world. So they start in Sydney and then they go to New York and London and Los Angeles. And um, So this year they're just putting on one conference which they're live streaming and uh, I was approached by a few women who were 
um, they would attend colour every year. They already have tickets which have been kind of converted into an online ticket. Um, about opening up the church for us to gather together and watch that together as a live stream. And so we're going to do that. Uh, I don't have a lot of details other than the two days that they're live streaming, which is Friday the 12th and Saturday the 13th of March. To be able to participate in that, just to honour, obviously, the um, immense amount of work that goes into producing something like that, you will need to register with the Colour Conference, which is $79. And that gives you access to the full content of the conference up until the end of May. So I guess what I'm wanting to encourage you, if you think that would be something you'd like to do, is even if you couldn't come for all of that weekend, I'm going as, lo as long as they're live streaming, other than the Saturday morning when the Messianic Church community meets here for their service, um, we will open up the church and as many of you who would like to come um, are welcome to come. But if there are parts of it you couldn't come to, you're going to be able to catch up yourself because you'll be sent a link. So anyway, all that to say, out in the foyer is a sheet which gives you some details of how you register, you can take a picture with your phone or you can write your name on the list out there and I will email you the information and then as soon as I get the program I'll be in touch with those of you who have registered and uh, will give you more details about when we'll open up the church on the Friday and what the sessions will look like. So, But it's a great opportunity, they've got Christine Kane, they've got Lisa Bevere, they have another couple who I haven't heard of before but I've been to Colour twice and the calibre of the sharing and um, is, it, it's really encouraging and uh, so yeah I would just really encourage you um, if that's something um, that you would normally not get to do because going to Sydney and taking a weekend out and the cost of accommodation and a conference fee is too much well this is your time to actually experience it and be in the room with the family um, so that's great all right I'm going to shuffle over this way I feel like you're all over there and I'm over here I'm sorry about the formality of a um, pulpit thing. I am definitely a note, notes person in terms of um, sharing a message. I used to dream when I first started pastoring that maybe one day I'd be somebody who could just not have notes. What I'm glad about is that God works with us as we are and as I am is that I like notes. So um, let me pray and then I'll share... Um, what I feel God's put in my heart for this evening. So, Father, as we spend some time this evening uh, in your word and just beginning to unpack, God, um, that invitation to us as vision women this year um, to pursue and live a life of wisdom. Uh, we know that that does not come without the breath of your Holy Spirit and um, just the way that, Holy Spirit, you are at work within us. Um, and so uh, we welcome you to uh, breathe life on your word this evening. Help us, God, not just to take it in as good information, but uh, to seek you, God, about what you're saying to us, both as a group and individually, and help us, God, to apply that in our lives with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know that there's anyone amongst us here who wouldn't say that we would like to be wiser. I don't, I don't think it matters whether you've um, 
lived over nine decades or whether you've lived less than three. Um, we all, I think, have areas of our life that we would like to grow in wisdom. And I certainly know in talking to a number of you, um, once you knew about the topic um, for this year, um, that you felt a drawing yourself to that of, um, of wanting to pursue a life of wisdom. And I think that something that is very true and difficult is that we are a generation who live in the information age. Like, we are surrounded by and as a generation have capacity to consume and have access to more information than I think any other generation before us. And certainly as a mum of... Um, a three, four girls, um, one of them not a teenager anymore. Um, I have watched them navigate that whole overload of information at school in a way that I never did. So when they do an assignment now, they don't get to go to the library and there are three books on their topic, which was in my day and age using a microfiche, which they were like, what's a microfiche? Um, they have to actually be able to sort through more information than we ever had to, to be able to drill down to the information they need for an assignment. But the reality is that access to that amount of information does not mean that we're living in the age of wisdom. We might be in the information age, but it definitely isn't necessarily the age of wisdom. And I think that that's true whether we're talking about um, secular, for want of a better word, information, or even the amount of Christian information that we can get access to these days. The number of books, the number of podcasts, um, even the consuming of what we might consider to be good and wholesome information does not necessarily amount to wisdom. And so really, I guess what I'm hoping this year is for us to spend time being both encouraged and challenged about what does a life of wisdom look like then. Um, that it isn't necessarily just the accumulation of information. And how do we grow in wisdom in our everyday life? According to what God defines as wisdom. And I guess that's the key. Um, and I'm going to certainly encourage you this year to read through Proverbs with me. Um, but what I wanted to do um, was to set a few um, rules of engagement, I guess, for want of a better way of phrasing it, in how we approach a book like Proverbs when we're talking about wanting to live a life of wisdom. Um, I don't know what your relationship with Proverbs is like. Uh, mine is a checkered one. I've used it. I used to have this book when the girls were little called Proverbs for Parenting. And if the girls lied or were mean or gossiped, I'd find the right proverb and I'd make them write lines out <laughs> of the proverb that told them why their behaviour was naughty and what God thought about it. Um, 
I've wrestled with the woman, I've told you this before, but I've wrestled about the woman who's portrayed in Proverbs 31 and many a time thought I'd like to rip that page out of my Bible. But I have also, in a number of trips through Proverbs through the years, found great insights and um, things that have been really life-affirming and actually practical and helpful to me and challenging, things that God has used to really challenge me about um, my own life. And so I'm sure that each one of you has your own relationship with Proverbs. I imagine that many of you have read at least some of Proverbs um, in your lifetime. But I thought that it would just be worth, because we're using that as our main text for this year, just giving you a bit of an overview about the book. So Proverbs forms part of the biblical wisdom literature in our Bible, along with Ecclesiastes and Job. And most of you would, um, well, certainly for me, I had kind of assumed, I think, that Solomon wrote all of it because he's certainly strongly associated with the book of Proverbs and he's mentioned in the book of Proverbs as some of the parts that he's written. But he didn't write it all. There are several contributors to the book. But it's definitely Solomon um, in whom we find the tradition of Israel's wisdom literature. And um, do you all know the story of Solomon when God basically asked him that he could ask for anything? And he asked God for wisdom and discernment. And um, in fact... Um, that was so pleasing to God um, because Solomon's desire at that point was to so glorify God that um, he then gave him the riches and those things that maybe other people might have asked for instead of wisdom. Um, so Proverbs um, is made up into a few distinct sections and I think that's important because the way that it's written is um, some parts of it are written quite differently to others. So the first nine chapters of Proverbs are written, well, there's ten kind of speeches from a father to his son, which are really the father imploring his son about the importance and value of listening to and pursuing wisdom and, and, and also about avoiding foolishness and all the pitfalls that are associated with that. And then there's also in that first nine chapters four um, poems that which which kind of personify wisdom as a lady, so lady wisdom, and really that just defines some of the characteristics of wisdom. And then the next um, chapter, the next chapters, so ten to twenty nine, are where you start to get into what we think of, I think, as proverbs, which are all of those kind of short, sharp instructions about how to live an effective life as um, a human on. Um, earth. And so you've got things like, I just picked out a couple, possibly maybe because um, these uh, they were underlined in my Bible. So, so um, Proverbs 10.19 which says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his or her lips is prudent. Um, and then this one, 17.1. Um, I may have quoted this to the girls a few times over the years. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. 
so that's what we think of as Proverbs. And this kind of way of imparting wisdom and insights that have been accumulated by the generation. So this was a way that wisdom was... Um, gathered, accumulated over the generations and then imparted. Not quite like, I suppose, your mother telling you to make sure you always wear clean underwear when you leave the house, but that kind of thing. Like one-liners that help you remember important um, aspects of how to live life well. And this was not... um, unique just to ancient Israel. I mean, you'll find proverbs in ancient Chinese writing. So there was something about the ancient world that related to these one-liners. And I'm sure it's because those one-liners were things that were able to be remembered in an oral history format rather than necessarily just being written down. So we're very blessed that right up front in the book of Proverbs, we are given the reason for the book and um, the, you know, the purpose, why it's been written. And in a nutshell, that's for readers to know wisdom and to receive instruction in wisely acting in their lives with righteousness, justice and equity. And so that's just in the first chapter of Proverbs, verses 1 to 9. So for most of us, the word wisdom has certainly in our modern world come to mean information and knowledge. But the Hebrew word for wisdom, which is kochmah, I hope, that I listened to it a few times on the computer. But anyway, this Hebrew word for wisdom, it, it means a lot more than mental activity, which is what we tend to think of it as being when we think about wisdom. Um, I found it really interesting to know that one of um, the meanings of kochmah is to be skilled. Like it means skilled and it even means skilled for war. Um, It means applied knowledge. So it's a very active wisdom. Like it's it's something that's worked out in your life. It's not just head knowledge. And it's the same word that was used to describe the skill used by the artisans who built the temple in Exodus. So it has with it um, a sense of um, refined skill, practised skill, and, that it's, and, it, and it has application um, in life. And so really the purpose of Proverbs is to develop practical skills for living well in God's world and to be able to apply that wisdom in every area of our life. And we'll find as we go through Proverbs this year that it really touches on every aspect of life, our relationships, our responsibilities, how we handle money, how we manage our mouths, um, it, forgiveness, um, how we look at justice, like Everything that you could think of, even in a modern world, is touched on um, in the book of Proverbs. And then linked very strongly in this introduction to this idea of wisdom is that, idea, is that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And that fear of the Lord as being that having that healthy sense of reverence and awe for Almighty God... And therefore, in light of that, a right view of ourselves in light of who he is. That he is God and we are not. And his wisdom is what we're after, not our own. And so in a nutshell, 
Proverbs basically presents to us as the reader two paths or ways for life. One is the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord, which Proverbs repeatedly presents as leading to virtue, integrity and generosity that ultimately results in success and peace in our life or falling into folly and evil and stupid um, desires that breed selfishness and pride and results in ruin and shame. And that all sounds really nice and simple, doesn't it? But the thing is, pretty much all of us have lived enough of life and certainly witnessed enough of life to know that while it's often true that the fear of God and wisdom means that things go well and that the f- no fear of God and foolishness means that sometimes things go poorly, that isn't always the case and that there are no guarantees. And the reality of our life is that hard things happen to wise and godly people and that there is no version of a human life that is completely without suffering. And so it's, and this was something new to me um, in my exploring of Proverbs this time around. It's really important that Proverbs is placed in its place with the other two wisdom literature books, Ecclesiastes and Job. Because in them we are presented a very clear view that life is way too complex for simple formulas and that there is no such thing as A plus B always equals C. It may, but it doesn't always. And so Proverbs, as we approach it this year, they're not promises and guarantees and formulas for success. They're definitely, there's, there's wisdom contained in here for us to dig around in and what they are is this accumulated wisdom over the generations of how to best live in ways that honour God and others. But as we read this book together this year and even if you do that in your own time as well, which I would encourage you to do, um, as we seek to really grow in and pursue and apply his knowledge in our lives, I just want you to remember a couple of things. Pursuing living a life of wisdom is not trying to live a perfect life with no mistakes. There is no such thing as enough applied wisdom and living correctly that therefore avoids pain, trials and difficulties. Or to put it another way, which I don't know if you've wrestled with, but I would have definitely in my sometimes perfectionistic view on life, is that not all trials and suffering are as a result of our foolishness or lack of wisdom. And finally, that all skills, which is, remember, the whole definition of the Hebrew word for wisdom is this skills, being skillful, um, that it takes practice that most skills aren't things that just are present in our life automatically. Um, By very definition, because they have to be practised, it means that at times we will fail in the process of growing and learning. And that includes in this area of learning about this skill of applied wisdom in our life. And I, I I just wanted to point that out. Maybe you're not wired like me, but... 
certainly in some of my iterations of times through Proverbs um, at seasons of my life. And I feel like now, uh, even in how I used them in some of the stuff that I did with my girls when they were little, I just feel like I really thought that if I just got all of my ducks in a row and I did all of these things right, that it would... It, it, everything would always go well. And I, I'm not wanting to be pessimistic. I believe there's things in here that are absolutely going to help us live healthy, vibrant, flourishing lives that honour God. Um, but it isn't quite as simple as applying them as a formula, that's all. So what the Bible says for us to do is to desire wisdom and to pursue it humbly and honestly with the key things being remembering that true wisdom only comes from God, that true wisdom only comes through a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that wisdom from a biblical perspective is all relationship-based and that is why wisdom is personified as a person there for all, um, in, in those four poems, that relationship with the Lord Jesus is key in living a life of wisdom. That our goal is to glorify God, not to be clever. And that wisdom, true wisdom, will outwork in how we live our life and, and the practices that become a part of our everyday life. Not just the parts that we think of as spiritual, but true wisdom will work out in all areas of our life. And finally, to grow in wisdom, and we will explore this more this year, we need each other. Remembering again that the whole way that Proverbs was written is it's the accumulated knowledge over the generations. We need the generations. We need each other. Wisdom, godly wisdom, biblical wisdom as women comes when we walk it out together and encourage one another. So this evening, um, that's kind of an overview of Proverbs. I just wanted to leave us this evening with one thing to ponder, which I feel like um, God highlighted to me as kind of a key as we get underway with um, our um, pursuit of him and living a life of wisdom for his glory this year. Um, and so it's something that I really want to encourage you and me to put into practice in your life in this coming year. And it comes from something that really jumped out at me this time through Proverbs, just in chapter 1, um, verses 20 and 21, which, and I've left my Bible down here. <clears throat> it says this. This is describing wisdom and, and the call of wisdom. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And I, what struck me, it go, goes on to talk about these people who are just not hearing her. But what really struck me this time, which I'd never really seen before, is how loudly wisdom was needing to shout. And that everything was clearly very noisy around her and that she repeatedly is trying to raise her voice 
Wisdom is repeatedly trying to raise her voice above the noise. But no one's listening. No one can hear her over the noise of life. And if you keep reading in that chapter, it starts to talk about what happens for these people who are just not able to hear and not able to listen. And I wanted, you know, what really struck me is that I think noise is one of the pervading hallmarks of our culture today. That physical noise, obviously, but also information, overload noise, scrolling noise, opinion noise, distraction noise. We're just surrounded by noise. And I think in the same way as is represented in Proverbs, wisdom is calling out loudly and just can't be heard often over the din of the cultural noise that just surrounds us all the time. Our our modern life is a very noisy one. And uh, Julia Baird, who is the author of a book called Phosphorescence, which um, I've read this year, she says that we are a silence-avoiding culture, that we treat silence as this void that needs to be filled at all costs. And that really resonated with me. I I understand and do value quiet. um, But I I think that too often we look to fill the void of of silence um, with noise. And uh, I, I don't know if any of you mums can relate to this. I've got some noisier kids than others, but I have... One child in particular who, if there's nothing going on, is just less so now, but when she was little, constantly making noise. Like it might be... Like it was just... And it got to the point where I would... I had a phrase. It's needless noise. It's needless noise. Um, And I feel like we're surrounded by lots of needless noise. You know, things that just distract us and... um, One of the things that Julia says in her book is that, um, which I didn't know, but apparently in the Middle Ages, Christian scholars believed that noise was a weapon used by Satan to prevent human beings from being alone with God and fully alert to and listening to him and each other. And I thought, oh, if that's what they thought in the Middle Ages, and that was they thought that was Satan's MO then, what, what would they think now? You know, we're plugged in and we've got televisions that could be going on permanently in the background and you go to the shops and there's just noise all around you all the time. And look, I mean, each of us is in different stages of life and some of you are in noisier stages of life than others. But I would challenge you that even if you live alone, it's still possible to be distracted distracted and surrounded by distracting background noise. You don't have to have a house full of young children or, um, I don't know, a snoring husband or a, I don't know, what what are the other things, background noise, whatever the things are that cause, I, I think all of us should and can identify that we live with way more needless noise than we ought. And so what is the solution? And I guess this is the practice I want to get to as we start this journey of pursuing wisdom in our lives. 
Um, none of us are likely to... Well, none of us live in a silent monastic-style community, do we? Anybody? No? Um, but all of us, no matter what season of life we're in, can choose to incorporate some really simple practices into our life that just create some space and some silence. You'll all have heard of some of the spiritual disciplines that are around. I'm not going to go into lots of detail about them, but practices like deliberately creating a space for silence and solitude and contemplative prayer, they're basically just habits that help us become more fully aware of God and create space to listen. And if we're going to be pursuing wisdom this year and we'll find, and as you start to start your own journey of reading in Proverbs, you'll find there's an exhortation a lot to stop and listen. And that's very hard to do if there's constant noise around us. That we want to learn to be attentive to his voice and to grow in wisdom. And I would like to say to you that those things do go together, creating space where there's not needless noise around you, space to be attentive to his voice and to hear, we will not grow in wisdom unless we make room for that in our lives. So in Mark 1, um, which we won't turn to in the interest of time because I want to wrap up soon, but um, we get to describe a day in the life of Jesus. And in this particular day, it's a... um, It's... um, a day where I think it's um, his Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue to teach. Then he encounters a man with a demon and he casts that out of him. Then he goes on to heal Peter's mother-in-law. And then even as the sun is setting, it says, the whole city is still gathered outside the door where he is, bringing people to him for healing. So it's been a busy day. There's been a lot of noise, a lot of things going on. And what we read in verse 38 of chapter 1 of Mark is this. So he's been to bed. The day has finished. But it says this. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, I don't want you to get hung up on the time of the day. I'm not stipulating that all of us need to start being super early risers, although I am and I would advocate for it. Um, but what I want you to notice is this practice of Jesus. After a super busy, noisy, filled day, he goes to bed, wakes up and withdraws from the noise to a place of solitude and silence to be attentive and to listen and to pray. Now, Jesus' solitude is interrupted by Peter, who comes looking for him, saying, "Where?" this is the Catherine paraphrase, where on earth have you been? Everybody's looking for you. And this, and, and this is meaning the people back in Capernaum where he spent the, the day before. You know, where are you? Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus simply says to Peter, time to move on to the next town. Now, it might be easy to miss, but I guess what I want to highlight to you is that from a place of silence and solitude with his father, even an interrupted silence and solitude, which many of us will end up having, 
Jesus knew what to do next. We're not going back to Capernaum. We're going on to the next town. And that's wisdom in action. That's him applying the knowledge that he's had downloaded from the Father. We don't get to hear that, but he makes a very clear decision. He doesn't bow to the pressure that everybody's looking for you. They all want you back in Capernaum now. He says, no, it's time to move on. And that all came out of the simple practice of quietening himself before the Father. This isn't because he was divine and God. This is because he had spent quiet time with his Father to listen and be attentive. And so you don't need to start with hours. I would encourage you if you're going to start looking at how do you build a practice of quietening yourself before the Lord and seeking out some silence and solitude in your day. I would even start with minutes. I don't know about you, but my, like it takes practice. My brain goes off here and, and, and then I start compiling my shopping list or thinking about things. But it's beginning to practice stilling yourself quietening yourself before the Lord. And I would suggest that you do identify a space and time that would work for you. That does not have to be morning and that is going to be super impractical for some of you and not give you silence and solitude. Um, I'm going to tell you not to take your phone with you. And I would even challenge you that in, in, in that practice of silence and solitude, you're not even taking your Bible with you. Like, this isn't, that, that, that is a really important daily practice to be in the Word of God. But this is actually stilling and quietening yourself before the Lord, not reading the Bible, not singing along and worshipping, just quietening yourself. It may, you may find that a period of time of silencing yourself and quietening yourself before the Lord then leads into some journaling or reading scripture, worship. But the first thing is just to practice finding somewhere quiet, removed from things that could be inside or outside, like for some people, actually just being out side somewhere is better than being in their house um, and what you're wanting to do is just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to pay attention just to quieten yourself before the Lord um, and and I and so this is a challenge to me as well like this isn't I, I want to be really clear this is not an established practice in my life um, but I really did feel that God highlighted that to me personally, but for us this year, that as we pursue wisdom, one of the first practices of wisdom, the skills he wants us to develop and apply in our life, is just that ability to start to pay attention and to quieten ourselves before him. And I believe what will happen is that, in fact, in doing so, you'll then also be more attentive in the rest of your day to where he is. So I'm going to just finish by reading Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 11, just over us, actually. It's, I'm going to use the Passion Translation, so I feel like it just really highlights a few things. And I would really even just invite you 
to close your eyes and listen. And at the completion of reading um, these 11 verses, I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and we're just going to sit quietly for a few moments. That's not going to go on for ages, just a couple of minutes of just together stilling ourselves before the Lord. Um, And then I'll finish in prayer and um, we'll have a cup of tea. So this is Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. My child, will you treasure my wisdom? Then and only then will you acquire it. And only if you accept my advice and hide it within you will you succeed. So train your heart to listen when I speak and open your spirit wide to expand your discernment. Then pass it on to your sons and your daughters. Yes, cry out for comprehension and intercede for insight. For if you keep seeking it, Like a man would seek for sterling silver, searching for hidden places, for cherished treasure. Then you will discover the fear of the Lord and find the true knowledge of God. Wisdom is a gift from a generous God. And every word he speaks is full of revelation and becomes a fountain of understanding within you. For the Lord has a hidden storehouse of wisdom made accessible to his godly lovers. He becomes your personal bodyguard as you follow his ways, protecting and guarding you as you choose what is right. Then you will discover all that is just, proper and fair and be empowered to make the right decisions as you walk into your destiny. When wisdom wins your heart and revelation breaks in, true pleasure enters your soul. If you choose to follow good counsel, divine design will watch over you and understanding will protect you from making poor choices. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you now to come as we just quieten ourselves before you.